Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning, Christ Community Church. Hey, there we go. All right, you guys are awake. Uh, as coffee and donuts do the trick, don't they? All right. Woo, yeah. Uh, we began a brand new sermon series uh, that will run us through July called Life Happens. And so what we're going to be talking about is looking to Scripture and seeing there's thing we can learn there to not just survive but to thrive in life as a servant of God. And so here we go. We're going to start this way. I got a film clip for you. And what we're going to do is I want to see how many people recognize this. Let's see who can recognize this movie the quickest. Roll it. I see some hands. That movie is Rudy. That's right, Rudy. The true story of Rudy. Five foot six, 165 pounds, and he wanted to be a defensive lineman for Notre Dame. Same team Joe Montana was on, by the way, and Joe Montana has pretty much said that film was, with a few tweaks, was accurate. And, and so Rudy is an example of what we're going to be talking about this morning, which is grit. What is grit? Well, if you have the, the, other, the book other than the Bible that you all should read is a book called Grit by Dr. Angela Duckworth. And she defines it this way. She says grit is, it, it says that it's there in your notes, perseverance and passion for long-term goals. Now, passion is easy. Perseverance, that means pushing through adversities, pushing through obstacles, knowing that when you set a goal, something is going to happen, if not many things happen, to try to keep you from reaching that goal. And the only way you are successful when you get to that goal is you get tougher, you move on. That's what you do. And in Dr. Duckworth's uh, book, and she is an example of grit, too. She was actually, if I remember the TED Talk correctly, she was in a car accident 
uh, in high school, she had some brain damage. They told her that, you know, basically she had lost a good deal of her IQ and she would never be the same and she would probably never go to college. She only went to college. She went to Princeton. She went on to do a doctorate and she wrote the book Grit. If you don't read the book, at least watch her TED Talk. It is well worth it. And here are some quotes that I like from her book. It says, number one, enthusiasm is common, endurance is rare. Sound right in our culture? I have a feeling tomorrow will be better is different from I resolve to make tomorrow better. Without effort, your skill is nothing more than what you could have done but didn't. And my favorite, as much as talent counts, effort counts twice. Is that not right? It sounds right to me. There have been some people who tried to dispute her findings, but in my life, what I have seen when I was working in Hollywood, then when I was working in politics and and in law and in ministry, I have seen that the grittier you are, the more goals you will accomplish in life. And that's a choice you make. And so one of the ways you get grit is knowing that you are going to fail And when you fail, you have to learn from that failure. And you cannot, the lesson you learn cannot be, the world is cruel, it's not my fault, it's that other person's fault, I'm going to go curl up in the fetal position in the corner and suck my thumb and blame everybody else. That's not it. It's, okay, what could I have done differently? That's a choice you make. And it's a difficult choice, especially if you're stubborn like me. Because I have to fail miserably to admit I failed at all because I'm stubborn. Will Rogers said that there are three kinds of learners. He said there is the one who learns by observation. There is the one who learns by reading. And there is the one who has to pee on an electric fence. (laughs) That would be me. And that's just the way it is. And so, so to get grit, you have to understand... Okay, I'm, I'm setting a goal, and we're going to talk about the kind of goals you should set here in a minute. I'm going to set a goal, and I know it's going to be difficult. I know things are going to be hard. And so I have to expect that, and then I have to look back and think, okay, i got to know myself. i got to know where I'm weak. i got to know where i got to bone up, where i got to strengthen myself. I, that's what I've got to do. I just have to. Because, as I said in the last sermon series, there is this myth out there that just if you go through hard times, that you'll be wiser. That's just not true. Experience does not make you wiser, and I'll prove it. How many of you have a friend who makes the same stupid mistakes over and over again? Right? Well, but I thought experience makes you wiser. No. Evaluated experience makes you wiser. It's looking back on that experience and saying, okay, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? And when I look at what I did wrong, why did I do it? How can I change it? And that's the only way you grow, and that's the only way you get grit. Real, true grit. And I don't know if you know it or not, but you look around our culture, we need a lot more grit. I used to, back when I worked for ADF and traveled all over the country and I used to go see a guy um, outside of Columbus, and he was a World War II vet. He was actually one of the first guys to storm Omaha Beach on D-Day. And he actually drove a Jeep off one of those boats onto the, on, and I said, 
I asked him once, we were sitting there on his rocking chair and just looking out the woods, and I said, Are you, were you scared? He said, son, that's the stupidest question anyone's ever asked me. He said, there were bullets flying at me. Of course I was scared. I said, well, how did, how did you do it? He said, what do you mean, how did I do it? There was the ocean behind me. There were machine guns in front of me. You know, there's, I was either going to drown or get shot, so I had to go move one way or the other. This is the way it is. I said, why did you do it? He said, because we were fighting for freedom. We, we had to. We have gone from a generation that feared our, our nation and our world would fall into the hands of fascist dictators and resolve to do something about it to a generation that's, that's afraid of gluten. I mean, it's just, it's just gotten weird, you know? And so we've got to get grittier. You say, all right, all right, Pastor Matt, okay, 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 okay. fine, all right, we need to get grittier. That's fine, that's, that's probably common sense, but is it biblical? I would argue that you're going to have a hard time finding anybody in the Bible who accomplished anything great for the kingdom of God that didn't suffer adversity and have to push through. I don't think you're going to find a single one. Every single one of them did. Every single one. For example, the Apostle Paul. I like the Apostle Paul a lot. His life is just incredibly interesting. One of these days I'm going to teach a class on his life. Here is a guy who is, the best we can tell, rich kid, raised in a wealthy Jewish family in Tarsus, which was one of the three biggest cities in the Roman Empire, and was known for its learning, had a great university there. Paul would have been shipped off about age 13 to go to Jerusalem and study at the feet of the great rabbi Gamaliel. He probably studied under him for 17 years. And then at the age of 30, he becomes a rabbi himself, and sometime after 30, they give him an assignment. There's this new sect that's popped up called Christianity. They believe this guy, Jesus, is the promised Messiah. We think they're wrong. So if you find any Jews that are like that, you need to drag them, take them back to prison. If you find any rabbis teaching that stuff, you can kill them, you go do it. And so Paul goes off, sword in hand, to go kill Christians, believing that Jesus couldn't be the Messiah. The problem was Jesus was the Messiah, and he showed up on the Damascus Road and said, Hey, Paul, you're mine. I am the Messiah. You're mine. You're going to go plant churches all throughout the Roman Empire. And so he did. And he spent the rest of his life doing that, planting churches all over the Roman Empire. And this rich kid who had given the best Jewish education in the world now found himself as an enemy of the Jewish state planting churches. And he wrote this to the Corinthians. He, was, he planted this church in Corinth, and this church started to really just fall apart from the inside. There were some people there doing really stupid things. And then there were these other people, these Jewish teachers coming in and saying that, oh, no, 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 see, you can't just become a Christian. You have to become a Jew and get circumcised, and then you can become a Christian. You ought to praise God that, that Paul was right and they were wrong because, you know, it would be really tough for us to sell. Okay, you've come to Christ, we're going to baptize you. Now we're going to go back and break out the knives and we're going we're to circumcise you uh, as an adult. That, that would be bad. Um, reminds me of the, of the joke I heard last week. There's a Baptist preacher, a Catholic minister, and a Jewish rabbi, and they're out in the woods fishing. And so they're sitting there talking, and, and they're all talking about the great success they've had in their congregations. And the Jewish rabbi says, well... There's an old Jewish proverb that the real man of God can convert even the wild animal. So the Baptist preacher, not wanting to be shown up, said, okay, fine. Let's all go out and see if we can't convert a bear. So, all right, 
They all go out three different directions. Half hour later, Catholic priest, Baptist minister come back together. How'd it go? Priest said, I read the catechism to a bear in the river. He's coming and having his first communion next Sunday. What about you? Baptist preacher said, I preached the gospel to him and I baptized him right there in the river. All of a sudden, the Jewish rabbi rolls out of the woods. He's all torn up. He's mauled. looks up and said, I shouldn't have started with circumcision. Um, <laughs> but this is what, one of the, believe it or not, this is one of the arguments the early church was having. They were saying, you, know, can't, you just can't just become a Christian, can you? You've got, you've got to become a Jew first. And Paul was saying, no, 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 no. That's, that's watering down grace. You don't get it. And so he was constantly battling this. If you read Galatians and First and Second Corinthians, he was constantly battling this. And so when he wrote the Corinthians about these super apostles, he wrote this. To my shame, I admit that we are too weak for that. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. That means he's getting ready to brag. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? Oh, I'm out of my mind to talk like this, but I am more. I have worked much harder. Now, notice this. This is what he gets for planting churches. I have been in prison more frequently. I have been flogged more severely. Now, if you don't know what that means, flogging in the Roman Empire, they took leather straps and they attached sharp pieces of bone and sharpened rocks to the end of them. They tied you to a stone and then they would whip your open back. And often they would whip you until you could see the internal organs. He said that, Paul said, that's happened to me. More severely, I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in dangers from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I faced daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. That was the life of the Apostle Paul. You don't see a lot of health and wealth preachers quoting that one. Because that is what he went through. And he could not have planted those churches in Corinth, Galatia, Rome, Ephesus, Philippi. He could not have done that if he wilted easy, if he was not tough. If he was not willing to face persecution and adversity. You cannot accomplish anything for the kingdom of God, anything of any eternal significance if you don't have grit. Because we are facing a hostile culture. It's going to become more hostile as far as I can see, unless there's true revival. It's going to become more and more hostile. You're going to have to become bolder, and you're going to have to become braver. You're going to have to get some grit in order to do what we have been commissioned by our Lord to do. Which brings me to Jesus himself. Did Jesus have grit? We tend to think of Jesus one of two ways. We either think of Jesus, little Jesus, gentle, meek and mild, and all that kind of stuff, and I've already argued in the past, that's, that's a bunch of bull, that's not how he was. Or we see Jesus as some kind of superhero with all these superpowers. Well, that's not true either. He was fully man as well as fully God. He faced all the temptations. Scripture is very clear. Jesus faced all the same temptations that we face. Jesus would have faced the same temptation I have every morning in the left lane in New Boston. 
by the way, the right lane is perfectly fine. Just move over there, please. Um, he would have faced those temptations. And yet, what did he do? One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Luke 9, 51. Because it reads this. The ESV reads a little better, but I, this will do fine. At the time approached for him to be taken to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. The ESV reads, Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. And I like that. As, as one commentator, Dr. Daryl Bach, said that, that when he says that, when he, he, he set his face toward Jerusalem, that's the same language that gladiators used before going into the Colosseum. He set his face. He said, I am going to accomplish this mission. I will be obedient to my Father. I will suffer. He knew he was going to suffer. And he marched, shoulder straight, head held high. And thank the Lord he did, or all of us would be in serious trouble. And I've said this before, but I really want you to understand this. And this bothers some people. I've had a couple people tell me, and even one person told me gave him nightmares. Sorry, but this is what Jesus went through for our sake, for your sake, for my sake, was nothing short of horrific torture. They beat him with open fists. They then flogged him. Just like Paul, they would have tied him to a large stone. They would have taken the cat and nine tails and given him at least 39 lashes. When he was given a cross to carry, his back would have been completely open. The flesh just torn off of his back. He would have been bleeding profusely. That's why he needed help carrying the cross. That cross, by the way, the Romans were cheap. They did not like to spend money on prisoners they were going to execute. So they reused crosses. The crosses were absolutely drenched in human feces, urine, and blood because you lose control of your bowels and die. And he would have to have carried this horrendous, stinking, dirty thing to his own crucifixion site. And by the way, the, the pictures, I, you, you've heard me complain, the pictures of Jesus that we use today, just, they're so ridiculous. I mean, they, they look nothing like Jesus. As Ralph Clay likes to say, he looked more like me. Absolutely, he did. And so, when Jesus carries this out, the pictures that you see of crucifixion, typically he's wearing a loincloth, and he's up high. Both of those are inaccurate. Actually, crosses were, were, they made sure that you were at about eye level so that you could mock them, spit on them, all that kind of stuff if you wanted to. Also, he almost certainly would have been crucified naked because almost everyone was. And in fact, they usually had a little peg that they would shove into your anus to make sure you couldn't move very much. Now, the scripture says that he was nailed to the cross. Typically, they did not nail people to the cross because they did not mass-produce nails. Nails were handmade, so they were very expensive. Again, the Romans were cheap. They did not like to use nails. Typically, what they did is they would put rope and tie you very tightly around your wrists, and they would reuse those ropes. They nailed Jesus to the cross for fun. It was purely out of spite. They did not have to do it. And so they nail him to the cross, and then his back would have been very, very up against this piece of wood. This, this wood, by the way, was not sanded in any way, shape, or form. It had splinters. It was rough. 
And the way it, this happened was they would pick a little place for your feet. Because of the pressure that was being placed on you, you could not take a breath or speak unless you pushed yourself up on the nail through your feet or your ankles. And so he would have to push himself up and rub his open back against that wood to breathe and to speak. He did that and hung on that cross for roughly six hours. Now, all he had to do was hang on that cross for six seconds and die. All he had to do was die in our place to pay the penalty for our sins. He did not have to be there for six hours. Why was he there for six hours? This has always amazed me. If you read the Gospels clearly, after three hours, another person who was crucified next to him says, Lord, please remember me. Let me go into your kingdom. If you read the Gospels clearly, that guy on the cross at first was mocking Jesus. Three hours later, he was confessing him as Lord. After six hours, and he finally dies, a Roman soldier looks up and says, certainly this was the Son of God. He hung on the cross for three hours to save one thief and another three hours to save one soldier. You don't think he wants to save you? He did this for us. He suffered greatly for our sake. Jesus had grit. Jesus was brave. We talk about Jesus being compassionate. We talk about him being intelligent. We never talk about how courageous he was. He was brave, and he had grit. And a servant is not above his master. We all have to get gritty if we're going to do anything for the kingdom of God. We're going to have to face persecution. We're going to have to face mockery. We're going to have to do that all the time. And we're going to have to stand there and not retaliate, not be snarky, not be nasty, though that's always where my sinful self wants to go. We have to be gracious and we have to stand firm and take it and not respond in kind, but lay out the truth and do so graciously. We all have to do that. When Jesus, before he left to go back on his throne in heaven, he told his disciples, what? Go and make disciples of all nations. There is no exception clause there. No servant gets a pass on that. All of us are called to do that. And the apostles themselves, it wasn't just Paul. I'm, I'm, I'm studying a wonderful book by Sean McDowell. It's expensive, but because it was his PhD dissertation, and all of those books are expensive, but... He surveys church history to find out what happened to the 11 disciples. Because scripture doesn't really tell us. We know from church history that Peter was crucified upside down. Do you know why Peter was crucified upside down? Because he said, I am not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. We know Paul was beheaded. The other apostles also, all but one, apparently died horrific deaths. All of them refusing to deny that Jesus was Lord, that he died and was resurrected. And he goes and he tells his disciples his last words. He goes, go and make disciples. Now, he actually talks about this quite a bit. Now, hang with me for a second. One of the most misunderstood passages of Scripture 
is a parable Jesus taught called the parable of the talents. Now, if you read through that, essentially, I'm going to paraphrase here real quick. What Jesus says is, okay, a master gives one servant 20 talents. He gives another 10. He gives another 5, something like that. And he says, then he goes away. The master comes back. and He says, okay, what you got for me? And the first one goes, I've taken your 20 talents and I've made it 40. Great, well done. The next one goes, I've taken the 10 talents and I've made it into 20. Good, well done. What about you? Well, you only gave me five, and I know that you were a cruel and hard man. So I took it, and I just buried it in the backyard. But it's all here for you. You got your five. And the master says, away from me, you wicked servant. Now, two things. One, the master in that parable is Jesus. Two, talent does not mean what you think it means. Talent was money. So when he's saying talents, he's talking about money. But what he's really talking about is the gospel. I have given you my gospel. I have given you my teaching. Now, go do something with it. Now, he has given some of us better, better aptitude to do that. Some of you are really skilled at sharing the gospel. Some of you are so introverted that if per, even a person says hi, you automatically break into sweats and look down at the floor. But there's no exception clause in that parable. All of us are called to take Jesus' teachings, to share them with others. At the very least, we are all commanded by our Lord, at the very least, to just invite people to church. At the very least, if you're not good at sharing the gospel, invite him here, we'll do it. The gospel, very simple, very, very simple. Jesus Christ died in your place for your sins. You have all sinned. I've sinned, you've sinned, we've all sinned. And that sin is treason against your Lord. You deserve death for any sin you've ever committed. If you go 99.9% of your life without sinning, you just sin that 0.1%, you deserve hell because it's treason. Treason is treason. But if you come to faith in Jesus Christ, what Jesus did on the cross was he paid the penalty for every sin you've ever committed, are committing, or will commit. And it's free grace. And all he asks in return is, he gives you eternity, and all he asks in return is, follow me, share my message. That's all. That's all. It doesn't cost anything but maybe an eye roll and, oh, you believe that, and all that kind of stuff. Are you really afraid of somebody rolling their eyes and making fun of you? If so, we need to you know, pray that you get a spinal transplant or something. You Come on. Who cares? Who cares? Have some grit. There are brothers and sisters of I. You remember when Gassan Thomas is here? We've got brothers and sisters right now that are being targeted by ISIS. We've got ministers in the Middle East planting churches that are facing beheadings. And the amazing thing is if you meet these people, I was in Charlottesville, Virginia about three or four years ago, and I met a couple who plant churches. This is such and such, they plant churches. I was like, oh, great. What a nice to meet you. Where do you plant churches? Iran. You plant churches in Iran? Yeah. How many have you planted? 50 or 60? I said, well, how do you do that? I mean, that's just, I mean, how do you plant a church in a radical Muslim state that has declared that all Jews and Christians should die? I said, well, somebody's got to do it. And they were just smiling and happy, and I'm like, you've been drinking? I mean... 
But no, no, this is great. They, they were getting ready to go back to Iran. They've got all these underground churches they've been planning. And so they could be found. They could be beheaded. But you know what? One day, one day, they're going to be farther ahead of the line, closer to the throne than I'll ever be. They got grit. And we all need grit. Now, about those goals. I am a goal-oriented person. You may be a goal-oriented person. You may have certain goals. I set goal this year to do a number of things. One, to become a, a, a master fitness trainer. I'm two-fifths of the way there. I'm rewriting a book that I've written three times, changed the ending four times. Um, I'm trying to get that done, you know, I'm trying to get my blog back, I'm trying to launch a, a fitness training thing on the site, specializing in training guys over 40, because guys over 40 are not the same as guys in the 20s, they have to train differently, have to eat differently, and so I'm doing all that, I've set all these goals, that's fine, you may have similar goals, nothing wrong with that, God bless you and keep you, but do you have kingdom goals? Do you have goals? to honor Jesus Christ, to show your love for Jesus Christ. Do you have kingdom goals? Goals are always, you always reach goals if you write them down. You're better situated, I can't talk this morning, to reach your goals if you write them down. Write your kingdom goals down. Those kingdom goals, at the bare minimum, say, I'm going to read this much of my Bible, I'm going to pray this often, I'm going to invite these people to church and write those names down and start praying for them because the Holy Spirit does have to be involved in that. Do you have kingdom goals? If you don't, if you don't, are you going to be like the servant who took the talents and just buried them in the backyard? I don't know where I rank on that how many talents God's given me on I don't know I have no idea there was a woman here last night a friend of Megan and I who was here at church last night I've been invited to church for two years two years every time she sees me walk over the gym she knows what I'm gonna ask what are you doing this weekend want to go to church I don't need my sit by sit with my wife and there she was last night She's been on my list for a long time. And when I see her again this week, I'm like, coming back. It takes time sometimes. Don't give up. What's a person's eternal soul worth to you? How much is that worth to you? I am telling you that all the stuff that we get caught up in, it's so easy to get caught up in work and and family and, 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 and all that kind of stuff and then just go home and veg out and binge watch Netflix and all that. it's so easy to do those things and everybody needs a break every once in a while I get that but what I'm trying to tell you what I try I know I sound like a broken record but what I try to tell you is there's going to come a day when you're going to sit at the feast of the lambs what the Bible calls it the big party Jesus is going to throw when he returns and the best thing, the best thing about that is, if you're sitting at that table and you're looking down at people, you brought to church and the Spirit brought into the kingdom. You will value that more than anything else. We want here at Christ Community Church two things for you guys. Number one is this. 
We want you to live a long, happy life. And on your deathbed, know that after you draw your last breath, the next person you'll see is Jesus Christ. That's number one. Number two, we want you to be on that deathbed and say, thank you, Lord, for using me because this person came to faith in you, this person came to faith in you, this person came to faith in you, this person came to faith in you. That you look back. You will not be on your deathbed and wish, oh, if only I spent more time at the office. If only I, I never got to finish season three of whatever on Netflix. You won't do that. But you will look back and wonder what kind of difference did you make. And you have to start now. And that takes grit. It takes grit. Back to Rudy. Five foot six, 165 pounds. Rudy, if you didn't know what the, what the movie just barely touches on, he spent two years in the Navy. And then at the age of 20, he went to work for an electric company for a while. And then after that, he tried to get into Notre Dame. He couldn't. So he went to a junior college, tried to get into Notre Dame again, couldn't. Finally got into Notre Dame. Got into Notre Dame, went out for the team, made the prep squad. You know what the prep squad is? Tackling dummy. You never get to suit up. You just get hit a lot. But he wanted to get on that field. He wanted to get on there. He just wanted just one play. He just wanted to suit up one time. He did that for years. And then this happened. Roll it. That did actually happen. Rudy did get in last game of the season, Georgia Tech. 
He was actually in three plays, not two. They shortened that down a little bit. He did sack the Georgia Tech quarterback, um, before he, and he was carried off the field. That did happen, but it took him years to get there, years. He didn't have the talent. He didn't have the size, but he just wanted to do it. He refused to quit, and that's how you get anything done, is you refuse to quit. It's that way in anything. And now Rudy goes around. I had to, had to inform a good Catholic friend of mine. I had to break his heart. Rudy's not Catholic anymore. Um, he didn't like that. But anyway, um, but Rudy now does leadership consulting. He goes around corporations. And what does he tell? What do you think he tells people? You can't quit. Is this what you want to do? Well, then you can't quit. You've got to find a way. You've got to push forward. You've got to move on. And he knows what he's talking about. It's the same thing with us. It's the same way anywhere. When I worked in Hollywood, the people I met who were successful in Hollywood, nobody just gets off the bus, walks onto a studio lot, and they go, star! That doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. There's a lot of rejection. There's a lot of seedy parts of it. It's tough. It's very tough. Now, when I lived in Hollywood, being on studio lots, which I was a lot, and when I'd be on there, you'd hear people talking. Because Hollywood, you know, L.A.'s a big city, but Hollywood, the entertainment industry, is kind of a small community. And they, they gossip like crazy, and so you hear all kinds of things. And, and, of course, what they usually talk about is which actor or which actress is a prima donna that nobody wants to work with and all that kind of stuff. They always talk about that. But there were two actors, two actors when I was in Hollywood, who nobody had a bad word to say about. Everybody loved working with them, incredibly professional, incredibly nice. Let's see if you can guess. Who do you think, who do you think they were? No, he was dead by then, unfortunately. Nope. Nope. Tom Hanks. Somebody said Tom Hanks. That was one. Tom Hanks was one. The other? Denzel Washington. Denzel Washington and Tom Hanks are two guys in Hollywood that just have a stellar reputation with everybody. And I don't think it's any, you know, I, I don't think it's a fluke that both of them, by the way, are Christians. Tom Hanks is Greek Orthodox. Denzel Washington goes to this really big Pentecostal church in West Hollywood, goes there every week, reads his Bible every year. And I was watching, I got a clip, somebody sent me something on Facebook, and it was a clip of Denzel Washington recently got an award for his performance in Fences, and, and he said this, which I think is worth watching. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Tennessee Williams, Arthur Miller, Eugene O'Neill, Edward Albee, August Wilson. August Wilson is one of the greatest playwrights in the history of American or world theater. It is a privilege, an honor, a responsibility, a duty, and a joy to bring his brilliance to the screen. I am particularly proud and happy about the young filmmakers, actors, singers, writers, producers that are coming up behind my generation. In particular, Barry Jenkins. Young people understand this young man 
made 10, 15, 20 short films before he got the opportunity to make Moonlight. So never give up. Without commitment, you'll never start. But more importantly, without consistency, you'll never finish. It's not easy. If it was easy, there'd be no Kerry Washington. If it was easy, there'd be no Taraji Henson, P. Henson. <laughs> if it were easy, there'd be no Octavia Spencer. But not only that, if it were easy, there'd be no Viola Davis. If it were easy, there'd be no Michael T. Williamson, no Stephen McKinley Henderson, no Russell Hornsby. If it were easy, there'd be no Denzel Washington. So keep working. Keep striving, never give up, fall down seven times, get up eight. Ease is a greater threat to progress than hardship. Ease is a greater threat to progress than hardship. So keep moving, keep growing, keep learning. See you at work. Ease is a greater threat to progress than hardship. Truer words have never been spoken outside of scripture. Fall down seven times, get up eight. That's grit. And this world needs two things. It needs the gospel and it needs gritty Christians to spread the gospel. That's what it needs. And so if we're going to do this, if we're ever going to take back our community from drugs, from crime, from despair, from entitlement, we're ever going to do that, it's going to have to start with us. And it's going to have to start with us being bold, being brave, not giving up. That's what it's going to take. Now, folks, we've got a lot going on here. Just to give you a preview before we quit, and I'm going to let you go here in a minute. It's 1135. I'll get you out of here 10 minutes early so you can beat the Baptist to, to the restaurants. But I want you to keep this in mind. Keep the summer splash thing in mind for the kids as they're ages three through kindergarten. That's coming up, let me see, July, next week, I guess, 16th, yeah, from four to six. You can pick up, if you've got a kid that age, you can pick up uh, the invites back there in the hive on your way out. Keep raising money for the track chair. We appreciate that. So many people are doing amazing things, like the Hills raffling off tickets for an AR-15 to raise money for the track chair. That's fantastic. Um, these things just keep happening, and so we're, we have some great things going on. We are rewriting our vision statement. The staff is doing that. Staff meets together almost every morning at 1030 to get together and prayerfully consider, okay, what, what policies do we need to have? What's our vision statement? What's our plan? How are we going to do this? And so we've all been discussing that, so your prayers are appreciated in that. We hope to, un we hope to unravel all that stuff and just roll it out and let you guys see it in September. So as we build up to this church's 47th anniversary, we're going to have a whole new list of policies policies and all the other kind of stuff, and so that's going to happen, and once we get it done, we'll take it to, to the board, let them look at it, that, and so basically that means going to Pat April and having Pat sign off on it because he's a board member and we don't do any kind of policy without Pat signing off on it. So all that kind of stuff is going on because we're not giving up. We're going to move forward.
We have a job to do. As I said, there's no exception to the Great Commission. We've got a job. We're going to do it together. We're going to invest heavily. Just to give you a little sneak preview, we're about to totally redo our children's ministry and pour all kinds of things in the children's ministry. Totally, mom's designed this whole thing to repaint it, redecorate it, all this other kind of stuff. We're going to strive to have the best children's ministry within 100 miles. And so we're going to invest heavily in that. We've restructured uh, worship, as you can tell. We're going to have more hymns. The reason for that is not just because a lot of you don't know the young songs and you know those songs, but also just to theologically, they're just much more sound than a lot of the new songs. And so we're going to be doing that, stripping worship down, more hymns. And so that's going to be happening. We're going to try to put together a fourth worship band in the fall with some KCU students. And so we're doing all that. So we are moving forward. We're changing things up, but we, we are listening to you guys. Your input is always appreciated because we are going to set our face forward and get it done. God bless you. God goes with you. Get to work. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.